It has been a while, has it not? <laughs> I normally dig right in, but I have to say, I am so blessed and honored and privileged to be here with you today. You are the church that took pity upon me and gave me the first shot for ministry, and I will always forever be thankful. First started coming here when I was a college student and heard Avon Malone preach and then worked with Chuck and then for too short of a time with Brother Jim, but so many familiar faces that are still here, so blessed to be here with you, all of you who uh, encouraged us, um, blessed us through our time here. We are so thankful for you. Uh, my wife and three daughters are here, as was mentioned, and uh, our first child, Gina, was actually born here. Not literally in this building, but born when we were uh, serving and working here, and we've multiplied and uh, grown. So God has been good and has blessed us greatly, and I will never forget that this is the church that we were first called to serve in and thankful for those of you, Ryan, Larry, others who encouraged us and gave us our shot. And, uh, and, and Sister Ruby said that I still looked good. So just on that basis alone, <laughs> if invited, I will definitely, we will definitely come back. So well, I've been very blessed to preach in the Kansas City area, down in Dallas, and up in the D.C. area, and direct a ministry called Next Generation for Christ, which is about seeking to pass our faith on to the next generation, to our children, our grandchildren, reaching out, reaching the lost, and calling people to follow Jesus. And we work with a lot of different ways with churches and helping them with their mission strategies, but one of the things that we have, a lot of people know us for now, is a film series called The Story of Redemption. It's been filmed in Israel and a lot of places around the world. You can use it for evangelism, discipleship, English learning. Uh, it's now in about 50 different languages, and so that allows us to work with a lot of different people groups, which is really great. But I have to tell you that it, it's a challenge to reach the next generation. It can be tough, can't it? Yeah. Uh, when I was preaching in the Kansas City area, I actually went with my family to go see my wife family who at that time they lived in Iowa and my wife's mother lived there and Jean at this time was only about four or five years old sick coughing and sneezing just really bad spend the night in a hotel and I found out the reason why was because she had and well home and Gina talks to my wife to her mother and she says mom I've been thinking I think we are really ought to get a cat <laughs> my wife says well hon your dad's allergic to cats you can't get a cat she said well we'll keep it outside and I would run away well we'll we'll put it in the garage I'm not going to keep the cat in the garage she pauses her little wheels are turning she's thinking finally she says mom does everyone die my wife said well yes honey eventually everyone dies she said Will dad die? Said, yes, hon, eventually your dad will die. She said, if dad dies, can I get a cat? <laughs> now, Kaylee, our youngest, years later, not knowing this story, one time piped up to my wife and said, Mom, I really like us to get a cat. <laughs> my wife knows where this is going. She says, Honey, your dad's allergic to cat. We can't get a cat. She said, Does dad have to live with us? <laughs> So it's tough to reach the next generation, but you know, the reality is that we have the great privilege and duty and honor to pass our faith on 
to others. And the reality is that all of us one day will die. And the question is, the faith that we've been given, that's so precious to us, will it be passed on to those whom we love the most and those around us? Psalm 78 says this, and if you have your Bibles, please open up to this passage. And let's look at Psalm 78. Here the psalmist says, O my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. Hidden lessons from the past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors. We will hide these truths from our children. We will tell them about the glorious deeds of the Lord. About his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that, note, the next generation might know them. Even the children yet born and they in turn will teach their own. This idea here is expressed that the faith that God has given to his people is meant to be passed down from generation to generation. And even the children not yet born, that phrase, it reminds me of, of what Peter said on the day of Pentecost, where there he's preaching uh, to the people who are assembled and they realize that they have killed Christ the Messiah. And he says, salvation is open and available to you and this promise is available for you and what? Your children and all who are far off. And so God has always intended for the faith to be passed down from generation to generation. And he says in verse 7, the reason for this, he says, do this so that, note this, each generation should set its hope anew on God. On God. Jim has just shared with us that ultimately our hope is not in this world and the, the, uh, the princes and the principalities and the, uh, and the rulers of this world, but upon God, not forgetting, note this, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. In the movie Camelot, the wizard Merlin speaks there to the knights who are assembled around King Arthur. They've just won a great battle. And he tells them to remember that night. He says, remember, for it is ever the doom of men that they forget. My friends, sadly, we are now in a culture in which God is being forgotten. And in fact, there are many who do not know him at all. For a long time, we have had people who say, I like Jesus, but not the church. But now we have people who have grown up without having any kind of faith, any kind of religion at all. It's called the rise of the nuns. Not the Catholic nuns, that would be perhaps better in this, but the rise of those who say no religious category, none. They don't identify with any kind of faith or religion. Some 45% of younger generations say that they have no faith affiliation. And so we've had a generation that's grown up either not knowing God at all or have forgotten him. And the solution the psalmist says is to not hide these stories about God from the next generation, but to share them, to tell them over and over and over what God has done in the world. And this next generation that we seek to reach is not just our children and our grandchildren, it's also today's unchurched, 
multi-ethnic, multicultural society, this world around us. And so the question is, how do we reach this culture, this people today? I would propose to you that the way that we reach them is to once again tell God's story in beautiful, passionate ways that can connect with today's generation. And the thing about story is that story is unifying. It cuts across personality types, generations, it has structure, it has uh, a flow to it that can touch both the head and the heart, and that can move people to want to respond to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you look about today, uh, people are still telling stories. How many of you have watched a movie in in this past year? Raise your hand if you've watched a movie. All right, I think that's everyone. What are movies? They are stories. And we have the greatest story that has ever been told. And so the question is, what are the biblical stories that we need to tell again and again, particularly for those today, for today's generation? Well, I would say, first of all, the story that comes to mind in a changed culture, in a, in a culture that does, does not really know God or has perhaps has forgotten Him, is to start at the beginning and the story of creation. Why is that important? Because today there are alternative stories that are being told out there. A story that does not have God at the center. In fact, doesn't have God in it at all. And so many people today have been told that, that they are just a random accident. The product of forces in which God was not involved at all. And that is a pretty destructive story. Let me just ask you though, when we think about the chances that all of us came about purely by accident... This is what science itself would say, which I have a biology degree, I love science. And there are some things to point out from science. What are the odds that there are the right cosmic and planetary conditions for life in the universe? That the the earth is the right distance from the sun, that there even is a sun, that there's the right composition of water and nitrogen and all these kinds of things. Science would tell us that the odds of that are 1 in 10 to the 390th power. That sounds pretty low, odds. Uh, the odds that life come from, comes from non-life, that it just spontaneously uh, uh, erupts, something we've never witnessed in a lab. Do you know the odds for that? 1 in 10 to the 337, three, okay, how do I say it? 722,000th power. I can't even say it. It's so big, it's so huge or large. Do you know the total number of atoms in the universe is only 10 to the 40th power? That means that the odds of us coming about merely by accident are none. Now, what kind of odds would you bet your life on? Would you bet your retirement on those numbers? Would you bet your future? How about your soul? Well, for me... That seems like not pretty good odds to, not very good odds to bet my life or my soul on. When my oldest child was born, Gina, when I looked down at her, I said, oh, what a beautiful accident. (laughs) No, actually, I didn't. I said, oh, what a beautiful gift from God. And the biblical story paints an alternative story about who we are, where we came from, and why we exist. Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 
It assumes God, tells us that God is the one who made us. And it says down in verse 27 that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's, this tells us that every single human being has worth and value because we are made in the image of God. God has a purpose and a meaning for each of our lives and he made each of us wonderfully. The psalmist says that he knit our souls together and had plans for us while we are even still in the womb. That is a beautiful story. And here in this story it tells us that God made us both male and female. It's interesting that years ago never would have thought that that was even something to be questioned. But today it is. And there are a lot of confusing things out in, to people in the world who don't have a biblical basis. They're told a lot of different things. And parents, they love their kids. They're trying to figure out what's best for them. But in a confusing world, we can share with people that, you know, the way that you figure these things out is to go back to Scripture and there are some things that you can build your life, your hope around in God's word. We see that in this biblical story of creation, it says that God saw everything that he made and it was what? Very good. Very good. Now Genesis 3 tells us that after God created this good world, that sin entered into the world and kind of messed things up. And this is important to point out in this biblical story as well. Because if we leave out either Genesis 1 or Genesis 3, then we've left out something vital. If we don't acknowledge that there's pain and evil and suffering in this world, that is to deny the reality of this world. But if we don't point back to the original creation that God made the world originally good, then it's hard for people to want to follow God that apparently just created a broken, messed up world. But in this creation story, we can answer the most fundamental question that so many people have when they're trying to decide whether or not to follow God, and that is this, how there can be a broken, messed up world, but a good God. And the creation story explains this. And when we share that with people, it just, I, I have hundreds of times I've sat down with people, and it just rings true because people want to believe in a good God. But the reality is that their life is messed up and they're like, where is God in all of this? And we see all the way back in creation that God had a plan to bring his people back into relationship with him and with each other by sending Christ, the Messiah, into the world, the descendant of Eve, to redeem the entire world. My friends, the creation story is as vital and as important and perhaps more important today to tell to a world that is confused, that does not know or understand who they are or where they come from. We can see that God created us good and he has good things in mind for us and in mind for the world. Now the psalmist makes clear we need to remember God's faithfulness, his redemptive story all the way in the past. And if you look at the biblical story, which begins the story in redemption right there in Genesis, where God is going to send uh, Messiah into the world, we see that God continues to act in the world in a redemptive way all the way from that time in Genesis. And the greatest redemptive story in the Old Testament is surely the Exodus. 
And this is what the psalmist comes back to again and again. Down in verse 12, it says that he, that is God, did miracles in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand firm like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the desert and he gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Men ate the bread of angels. I love that. The bread of angels. And he sent them all the food they could eat. Wow. This is an incredible picture of a powerful God defeating the most powerful ruler on earth, the Pharaoh, controlling the sea, the fire, the mountains, the ocean, pouring down food from heaven and water out of the very rocks. That is a God that is powerful. That is a God that is alive. That is a God worth serving because that is a God big enough to solve my problems. And I don't know about you, but I got a lot of them. Just ask my wife. I've got a lot of problems. I need a big and powerful God. And the psalmist reminds his people when he's talking about passing this faith on, remember what God did again and again. Remember how he led you out of Egypt. We need to remember these stories from the past of how God has saved us. And in the psalm, Israel alternates between remembering and forgetting. It says that they remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. And then it says that they did not remember his power the day that he redeemed him. So there's this alternating between remembering and forgetting, remembering and forgetting. And I don't know about you, but that describes me and my life. Sometimes I remember and sometimes I forget. One of the stories that I often, uh, we often come back to in our family about God's faithfulness in the past is what God did with our family in Croatia. We were going in 2017 over to Europe, visiting a lot of different countries to do work in ministry. I, of course, had been all over Europe growing up, going on let's start talking missions trips and these kinds of things. Uh, but my wife had not, and we decided to go as a family. And one of the places that we went was Croatia. And I had never been there before, been a lot of places in Europe, but had not been to Croatia. When we arrived, all of the church was gone. They were, they were at the coast doing an evangelistic event, which is great. Uh, but there were people that picked us up that weren't part of the church and so that was interesting in and of itself and then when we got to the church building it was full a group of OC students of all things had come in there's no room at the inn and so we had to find a place to stay and the place that we ended up staying was close by the church but we found out later was a place that actually could be rented by the hour if you know what I mean so there were some interesting looking people around there and my wife is like looking around the kids are you know have a, a, a room they have to be locked in there's this common area where people can come in it's it's eight o'clock at night They're, they haven't eaten I'm handing over my passport to, to this woman because she's demanding it because I don't have all the funds for a whole week and I see my wife is a bit stressed on this and I said honey what's wrong she said fix this now <laughs> she said no part of this is okay <laughs> Well, do you know that incredible things actually ended up happening with that? They, they took our series there. They began broadcasting it with one of the ministries there across Croatia. We ended up doing evangelistic events. And so many wonderful things came out of that. 
And you know that every time we go in and we travel, something goes wrong, something, there's some problem, we remember Croatia. And at the end of that trip, we asked, where did we see God at work through this time? And every one of us said, in Croatia. We need those stories of God's faithfulness in our lives and our family's lives to be passed down to our children and to our grandchildren. And of course, in the New Testament, the greatest redemptive act is, of course, Jesus Christ, the son of David, coming to earth to live and die for us. And if you want to know how central the cross is to the Christian faith, just go through and read Paul. Time and time again, he comes back to the cross. But in the book of Mark, structurally, if you look, the first eight chapters of the book of Mark are about Christ's life and his ministry. And the last eight chapters are all about the last week of his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. There is something about the cross that has the ability to shape and move us, move our hearts, and change us in ways that nothing else can or will. And if you look at most that are out there in culture, many of them have these redemptive elements. In the Lord of the Rings, Gandalf gives up his life, sacrifices himself so that the fellowship can escape from the Balrog. And Groundhog Day, one of my favorite movies, Bill Murray, his life doesn't change and become better until he stops being such a selfish jerk and instead becomes selfless and serves others. And it was even reported that someone who had killed someone, when they watched the Passion of the Christ, they had gotten away with it apparently, but when they watched that, they actually went and turned themselves in because they were so touched by the redemptive story. In Christianity, we have a unique story, not found in any other faith or religion, of a God who would become human and sacrifice everything for us out of love for each and every one of us. And we need to tell this story again and again. Not just summarize it, not just bullet point it, but actually tell it. In Croatia this past April, we started working with Ukrainian refugees that were flooding in to the country and there was a Ukrainian family there from Kiev and the Ukrainian refugees have such tragic stories but they they're very open to the gospel and there is this family there made up of four generations a great-grandmother a grandmother a mother and two children and the grandmother actually had lost her husband in Kiev when a car bomb came down and when he saw that car bomb coming down he threw himself over his wife and so doing he sacrificed himself saved her life but lost his own well they were up there at the church building and they were there in the kitchen area sharing a meal together and they invited me to come and to join them for that meal and it looked like they were having kind of a private meal and so I said no that's okay don't worry about it We'll get together another time. But one of them then explained to me, I said, no, you don't understand. In our culture, on 40 days, 40 days after someone dies, we have a memorial meal, and we invite people in to share in that meal to remember our loved one who has died. And I apparently was one of the very few people that they actually knew. And so, of course, me and my family went and we shared that memorial meal with them, which was such a blessing and honor to be there with them. Isn't that what we do when we come together each Sunday? We share a memorial meal and we remember what Christ has done for us. 
and how he sacrificed his life for us. But it's not just a past event. It's also a future event because we are told that when we take of this Lord's Supper, what? We proclaim Christ's death, what? Until he comes. And so we need to remember the future that God has in mind for us. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ and how one day he is going to make the world all aright again. Very early in my ministry, there was a young girl that was the sweetest, kindest girl that I've ever seen at that time, and she had such heart for God. I looked through her notebook. It was filled with pictures and stories and things about God. And we found out on one Wednesday night that she had leukemia. Two days later, she passed away. And she asked me to speak at her funeral. Something no little girl ought to ever have to do. And that little girl's name was Chelsea Schistler. It was right here. I've told Chelsea's story so many times. Because that's the reality of the broken world that we live in. But we also have the hope of a future heaven. And the hope that we will see Chelsea and others like her. Loved ones, friends who have passed on before us. In the new heaven and the new earth. And Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, it's like foretelling of the future. And the early church believed that the resurrection age began with Jesus. And we are living in this resurrection age and time right now. And so we must remember that God is alive and at work, not just in the past, not just what he will do in the future, but that God is alive and at work today, right here, in this world, in this time now. And we come together each Sunday and we remind each other of God at work and how he is alive in today's world. And my friends, I've been around the world. I've seen God at work in so many ways. I've seen young people in the UK gathered around a fire listening to these stories. In Rwanda, there's whole schools that are seeking to look at God's story and go through that in the public schools, which is something that obviously wouldn't happen here. In Kenya, I've seen 70 young people come to faith through online studies just in the last year and a half. True lives changed and transformed, and I'm here to tell you that he is at live and at work right here today in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in this church, and all around the world. My friends, God is indeed alive and active. He is redeeming the world. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved when Christ returns to this earth. And the question for each of us is, what has God been faithful in our lives in the past? What do we look forward to in the future that he will do in our lives and others? And what is he doing in our lives right here today? I'm so thankful for you, your faithfulness to God, your heart for sharing Christ with others. Thank you so much for allowing us to come here. God's story is powerful. We can tell it today, and people can still come to know our Lord and Jesus Christ. May God bless you, and may God bless the preaching of the word here and this church.
there's any need you have, please come as together we stand and sing.